Hi everyone, and thank you so much for listening to the Girls Who VC podcast. Girls Who VC is the first organization dedicated to bringing young women into venture capital. My name is Isabella Mandis, and I am the founder and CEO of Girls Who VC. On today's episode, we have Tamara Zykowski, who's the Chief Digital Officer at Akersher. I'm super excited to have her on and hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Tamara, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you being here and talking about your experiences. Thank you. I was wondering if you could start off by giving a little bit of background about yourself and talk about what you've done. Sure. I'll start not from the very beginning, but just highlight some of the things because uh, I think it has really helped me in the long run. But I started out as a chemical engineer working in the kind of biotech and pharma space. I took that and evolved into working in VC, specifically in VC in biotech and pharma, and then quickly realized I had little to no finance knowledge. It wasn't a shock to me, actually. It was quite apparent. So I basically went back to school, got a finance degree, and then went back and got an MBA, kind of evolved in that space, but ultimately took that career and started to not only look more into the depths of finance, but also into technology. So as I went through my career, I was highly focused on different kind of investment products, but learning it a lot from the tech side. So what I did is ultimately build and leverage technology, and that helped me essentially learn the investment products. <laughs> so like reverse engineered half of it. But that is how I evolved throughout my career, which then took a pivot. Basically, I went to Santander, so went into banking. I was in, I did investment banking and I did a handful of other commercial banking as well. But last stop before I was in Santander, which is a Spanish bank. And kind of highly focused in there, trying to evolve from a digital transformation perspective because they had come in, the organization essentially they, they purchased, which is the sovereign bank, basically the diversification play for them because Sundanera is obviously in, in Spain, but in also Latin America, which are from a financial markets perspective, very connected. So in order for diversity, they, they purchased sovereign and a lot of the challenges there were deep-rooted technology. So we had to evolve technology specifically as it relates to a lot of the transactional systems and a lot of legacy systems, as well as start to, from our front-end perspective, create a better digital experience and then operationally align them. So there's a lot of work because it relates to the back office tools and stuff like that. So we did a lot of work in the evolution and restructuring in that space. It became my sweet spot as I realized, that, oh, I understand tech, I understand ops, I understand like organizational structures. I understand engineering to some level of degree. And so that became the area of focus that I've had. I leveraged that into insurance now, which I knew a little bit about, but certainly have learned a lot more over the last year at Acrisure and really focused on, on doing similar things at Acrisure, but in a different kind of bandwidth. Mainly because Acrisure has grown substantially over the last ugh, really five years, but basically like 10x. And they've grown through acquisitions. And so there's a lot of work that relates to the aggregation of the systems and alignment as you acquire companies. So there's a lot of that piece of it. I'm <clears throat> focused on that, but also are highly focused on the digital piece. So creating the direct consumer systems and applications, as well as basically building out a business that allows and supports the operation. And that is the key pieces of what I'm doing. That is really enabled by a lot of purchasing or acquisitions of insurtechs. And that's how I've gotten into a lot more, I say, back into the VC space as we start to acquire and look for startups that fit our portfolio as it relates to the digital transformation we're undergoing. 
So you talked about your experience at Acrisure. I'd love to hear more about what your role entails working as the chief digital officer. I know that there's a misconception that to work in tech or work in something like that, you have to work at one of the big tech companies. So I'd love to hear about what your day-to-day looks like and how you're involving technology without the programming and doing more of like the business side of it. Yeah, it's interesting. So a lot of of in even finance and in, I would say, insurance or any of the big behemoth industries that aren't exclusively tech is actually attracting people who know and understand that there's like a significant amount of technology that's happening in these spaces. Partly because most people want to, particularly as they graduate college, want to go to the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Googles, or are specifically a startup in tech. And it's, first of all, like obviously getting people attracted to those industries because that's there is a significant amount of technology that happens there. If you look historically in terms of where technology started, it started with the large scale transaction industries, right? And so finance and insurance were the first and earlier adopters to it. Not only do they have a substantial amount of existing technology, but the needs and demands and the expectations of how they get to a more digital and consumer facing is substantial. So there's a lot of work related to that. And what's interesting too is your once you're a consumer facing to the Amazons of the world and the Googles of the world. And so the intent is that even though you are this, I would say, a legacy industry who's got fraught with some probably tech debt and substantial challenges that relates to data integrity, you are still expected to be equally as slick and cool as the other technology players out there. And so it's a challenge, but I say it's like the coolest thing because ultimately you have all these constraints and limitations as it relates to the industry itself, the regulations and requirements, but you also have this opportunity from a capital perspective, it's certainly rich. There's certainly a lot of opportunity to kind of invest in things. So it's being able to combine those two that I think is like the coolest part of it and ultimately adds to the challenge, but also the excitement of it all. That's awesome. And you were named one of the top 100 women in fintech. So there's no better person for me to ask to break down the fintech industry. How would you define it? What are some common examples of some fintech companies? And how would you say it's disrupting the traditional financial services industry? Yeah, it's a great, first of all, thank you. That's very kind. But ultimately, there's a massive team behind me that does a lot more work than I do. I just try to put all together in a nice little package. But what's interesting about the industry and particularly in large scale where you have existing organizations and structures and operations that limit essentially change and evolution and innovation, right? You almost inherently have to have these small players that are more innovative and creative and also have some risk tolerance that the larger players don't have. You need them in order to evolve more rapidly and more quickly. So it's this lovely kind of like symbiotic relationship. You see it in biotech really extensively because I don't know how much you might know or not know about essentially the way in which life cycle development of drugs is, but it's basically a 10-year investment strategy, which is expensive and it's costly and there's challenges related to it and there's many things and many drugs that never actually make it to market because of a variety of reasons. So they need biotechs to, to do and do the trials and be more creative and be more evolved. It's very similar on the kind of fintech side is the financial institutions have some consistent, uh, I don't know, knowledge and restrictions as it relates to compliance and boundaries about the way they do things. And so they need fintechs to push the envelope to ultimately be able to align in, in many areas because 
they're also closer to the customers too in a lot of ways. And so their ability to be flexible and nimble, in addition to being able to have a greater connectivity with the customers, I think enables into that forward thinking, aligning it too. Because the reality in many cases is the capital and the stability of the large scale organizations can help solidify what is very challenging on the fintech side because it's costly to build technology. It's expensive and it's hard to live out to, to essentially meet your financial obligations, whether it be from an investor or whether it be just like your own personal capital. In order to get the volume of, of transactions, leads, whatever you're tracking against, uh, it's hard to do that in the time frame that it takes to build technologies. It takes a lot of time. So they both kind of benefit from, from each other in that scenario. And that's from more of the side of these companies, but from a consumer perspective, why do you think consumers should care about fintech over traditional financial services? Fintech, the reason they care about it is because it's easier to use. If you just look at the technology, it's it's not even that they should care, it's just that the preferences, they're going to meet the needs probably quicker and faster. The reality is consumers are knocking on the door and requesting it and they're delivering on it. So it's a more streamlined essentially process or interaction and ultimately fulfilling the needs they have in terms of convenience, in terms of simplification of the process itself. So they're for it. That's why they prefer it. Yeah. And in terms of challenges facing fintech startups in terms of scaling, sustainability, what do you think are some challenges that they're facing? Yeah, is scale. Scale, and I would say particularly when you're in the in the areas that are more either risk adverse or heavily regulated, you have all that really means to me is limited cost, right? You have this vast team that you need to have monitoring the applications, monitoring the transactions, ensuring the infrastructure is in place, ensuring all of this data is protected that you end up managing becomes very challenging. And as I was alluding to in the previous question is you're ultimately trying to build technology faster than you're spending the amount to support it. And it's challenging for them to be able to do that. We're in an environment now that capital is not nearly as readily available as it was historically, which in some ways is good because I think there's plenty of cases where you can see there's some fraudulent activity because it was almost too freely available and maybe some of the due diligence wasn't done or there was just some invasiveness around the overall kind of operation and productivity. But right now, it continues to be a challenge to be able to use capital effectively. And I think that to me is is hard because they've got so many requirements and expectations and they don't really have the infrastructure to support it because these large companies have all of that and they've had it and they've required it for years and they have all understanding of it all. And it's spread out across the organization and they have this exhibited amount of more um, income coming in. And so it's be able to balance those two that is is the hardest. Ultimately, I think that's where it lies right now. And in terms of other challenges with the fintech industry, how do you think that fintech companies should be ensuring that they meet the needs of underdeserved underserved populations such as those who are unbanked or you or underbanked yeah it's interesting so i particularly at central dare we address this issue because they were in south america so some developing countries and what's interesting is similarly on just like a tangent here but the innovation space within south america is quite interesting because they actually have leapfrogged basically a lot of the technology because they didn't no one had computers no one had laptops that never happened. So everybody had mobile 
So the technology was already always built for mobile, which is we're retrofitting in many ways in some of these areas. So they were ahead of the curve as it relates to technology and the capabilities because that was the user base and that's what they needed. So I think a lot of what comes down to understanding and evolving is looking at the technology and how do you make it more accessible. So mobile phones are significantly easier to interact and transact with because it is available. It's still expensive, but ultimately there is some availability there. What's also interesting is to think about cultural alignment or I would say challenges because there are still countries that people just don't trust the government they don't trust the banks and so the ability to and the belief system that they if they put their money in a bank that they'll see it again is like still in their mind so they're like shoving it under the mattress seems a much more I don't know risk reduced problem like a methodology than ultimately putting it in a bank so what's the solution or I would say the ultimate end goal is I think the evolution is around having a confidence ultimately in institutions, banking institutions specifically, as you try to evolve cultures to be able to have mobile transactions and have have that connective tissue. And I think we've done a certain amount of work. There's some more to be done, but a lot of it is there's a lot of external factors that influence that. And I think it's working with the government and working with a handful of established and trustworthy institutions that certainly enable that that change to occur and then making sure that you're meeting the needs of the underserved by understanding their profiles and their needs because they are different than the mass market in other areas. And what emerging technologies do you think are going to impact the future of fintech? Like, for example, now there's a big boom with AI. Do you think that emerging technologies like these are going to be incorporated into the field? Yeah, absolutely. I think you've seen it. Uh, fintech in terms of evolution, obviously, in the 1970s, we started with credit cards. Uh, we moved in terms of cloud, in terms of backup and operationally like aligned to that and creating infrastructure and evolving in that space. So it, it does happen. It takes probably longer than it should, partly being because of the challenges of the organization that needs to happen within that. Like we're still doing a ton of that work. Obviously, very focus on mobile and getting everything accessible through that means and making sure that those transactions are easier and more simple to have an exchange. But yeah, we'll see continued operational changes that reach to automation in the back end. So there's obviously the front end digital activity and transaction that's happening with a consumer, but then the operational pieces, a lot of these got to evolve operationally and that's been a lot of the evolution that's happened in terms of ensuring that efficiency and productivity is happening but ai will continue to be a big focus and some of the things that we're looking at on his customer journey so specifically looking at how you profile individuals to ensure you better understand their needs and desires to go through say a sales process some people like to do fully digital no human or whatsoever and some people like to have either a blended version of that where they have a few questions and they want to talk to an agent. Um, and others want like a full, like, I just put in my information, you call me, and then we figure these things out together. And so the better you can understand ultimately that those profiles, which is essentially leveraging our AI models, helps you better align ultimately the, those sales components. And then taking that also and aligning it to the products that, that would be applicable and most effective for them is also a key piece of what we're doing. On the servicing side, we're leveraging a handful of technologies to 
aggregate any and all communications that are coming in from chat, coming in through call centers, coming in through exchange via email or whatever kind of profiling, that essentially enables a lot more of the future activity and things that you want to do or interact with a customer and how you would better align to it. And those are the components that we're looking at, but AI will continue to be a big piece of it. We've talked about metaverse and trying to figure out what we're doing there. I think the reality is it's an interesting dynamic. So I think people like to leap really far ahead in terms of like how you leverage it. And the reality is, yes, there's a different shopping experience and we'll enable that. And I'm sure it'll be a part of like how we evolve and get to, to that space. But the reality is like people are not going there to buy insurance right now. But is it something we could evolve to? Sure. And this way we think about the way we design things that could be easily adapted to or get there. That is critical as opposed to let's leapfrog there because I don't see it as like the next big thing for us. And earlier you talked about some risks about fintech. I'd love to hear about like the risks of data privacy and security concerns. I know that's something that people also worry about in addition to not trusting like government or financial institutions. So how do you think this can be balanced with the progression of fintech as well? Great question. Are you from the perception of a consumer or perception of the industry itself? From the perspective of the industry. Yeah. That's a great question. So as it relates to the industry, I think the big challenge is specifically like banking has significant fraudulent activity and ensuring that they're one step ahead of that activity, which is very hard to be ahead because the sophistication and exchange capabilities of hackers are particularly stronger than I would say the average kind of IT individual in a bank. So the way in which they're architecting and changing the design, I would say in the back end is critical. So a lot of the reason to cloud is to evolve and ensure that that is protected ultimately. There's a better understanding of the data and the way it is monitored and managed. And I think ultimately we're doing on our end as well. We've done that to be quite honest with you. They're actually quite advanced. Where we continue to have challenges is uh, as we evolve, like we bought a handful of insurtechs. And so they're on their own stack and we've got to integrate them. And so there's a period of time in which we've got to pull that together. So that remains a gap and a challenge. Once we've got there, we're in a much better place. But it's really just ensuring that you have this innovative spirit to move quickly and fast, but also marrying that with the understanding of you've got to be risk adverse. You've got to be able to identify where you have challenges and gaps. And it's being able to marry those two because they tend to not, they tend to be two very different profiles. I don't tend to see things eye to eye, but that's why I have to like bring these teams together and be like, no, like they're, they both have points and we have to marry the two and make sure that they are operating in a way that is beneficial for both. We can't do nothing because we're so concerned about being exposed or having issues related to certain data points or whatever it is, but we also can't run so fast that we've left the other guys in the dust. So it's really the combination of the two that, that is a piece of it all. And what would you say the future of fintech looks like? How is it going to involve and impact the industry as a whole? Yeah, it's a great question. It's my, we touched upon it earlier. It's really, it's pushing insurance to evolve. It's pushing finance to evolve where they don't have the same, there's challenges in the organizations. The way IT is designed and set up is usually a centralized team, all connected to various different products, specifically technology. And the desire is to kind of maintain consistency around the technology because, to be honest, you people get fired if things break or fail. So 
there's a inherent kind of you want to try to keep things working as is. That's not possible because we all know we need to evolve, we need to change. So the fintechs kind of force the, the conversation and force things to happen to meet the needs of the customers. So we enabling and pulling those two together, that I think is the key part. The challenge in the industry is and continues to be is they're usually two entirely different cultures. And how do you get them to work together is a challenge. We're pretty lucky at Accresure because we're through acquisition and it's entrepreneurial spirit. And this is a whole kind of component of aligning to and ensuring there's some autonomy and people have a voice and there's still that desire to to bring that voice while still being a well-managed company with stability and consistency. So the more you have individuals who are able to connect the dots and align the organizations that end up coming in, particularly that are more on the innovative side, is really the key piece of it because they both need to evolve either end. It's important that they understand each other, but also blend together at some pace. Yeah, that's awesome. And to close off, I'd love to hear any advice you have for someone interested in either working at a fintech company or investing in them. What would you want to tell them? My advice is probably learn both sides. So I think for me, what's been useful, if I just reflect on my own career and what I think is probably the most valuable pieces is I have obviously a variety of experiences that relates to technology. So being into a bunch of different spaces from deep infrastructure to data to product development on the front end, risk and compliance, and across the organization. So being able to expose yourself to different departments is really important, but also working in very small startups and working in kind of big companies is also important. You need to understand in the VC space, obviously, the valuation of companies and understand the financing. And that's a critical piece, like don't get me wrong. But it's not the entire story. And I think people tend to to rely sometimes too heavily on the numbers to either justify or understand an organization. I promise you, the percentage of time that it is much more related to the people who run that organization in terms of being successful is 90% of the time. And so in my experience, I always looked for companies that are running well. There usually is a problem that you can identify through the financials. You can say, oh, we can fix that, or there's a way, an opportunity to address it. But the people are there. Like They want to work. They're driven. They have a desire to come together and generally collaborative and like resourceful. You want that kind of spirit because the reality is, of what you've built today. It doesn't mean it's going to be relevant tomorrow. It also doesn't mean new information will come or the industry will pivot entirely. So it's the ability to be resourceful, take in new information and pivot across critical things. So as you're evaluating companies, it's looking at that profile, ensuring that's the, the helm of the organization and ensuring you've got cultures and people who want to evolve and move fast, but also in a way that's going to be healthy and aligned to the overall objective because they can have pockets where they want to go off and do their own thing, these creative geniuses. And believe me, we have plenty of those. And it's like bringing them together to like effectively move in the same direction. That's the most challenging. But I think as you look at moving into the VC space, obviously do your and figure out from a financial perspective where they're at, but really starting to connect with the human elements and particularly the people who run it. I think it is a big piece and it only comes from experience and them 
and just better understanding like how they think and how they would evolve and how they would perceive things. I think that's another big piece. So yeah, get a diverse academic and experience. There's always things I pull from the weirdest experiences I've had that help me leverage different different transactions and different ways of doing things that I think is hugely helpful. So don't be so siloed and thinking, I got to learn tech or I got to learn. It's like, there's a variety of other, you do need to learn those things, but a variety of other things you should learn to help you be more successful in the space. That's awesome advice. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your insights. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. As I said, it's like my favorite meeting of the day. It's certainly <laughs> more exciting than 90% of it. So I am super excited. I was able to connect with you. And yeah, if you have any other questions or stuff after, feel free. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and supporting Girls Who VC. Make sure to check out our website, girlswhovc.com, and follow us on social media at Girls Who VC. See you next time.